0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what-the-fuckers? What-the-fuck buddies? what the ears? What-the-fucksters? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It's nice to talk to you. So, I want to get you know be right up front with you about this. I, I did not watch the Oscars yet. I'm recording this before the Oscars because I wanted to have a clear head. I know, like, after the Oscars are done, it's going to be a whole new world out there. Everything's going to be different. No one's going to be thinking the same. No one's going to have the same feelings about anything. Everything will be different and I just wanted to have this one hour here uh, or this, this one intro where, where I'm still of pure mind and, and not, uh, not fucked up in my head. The, the Oscars are the Oscars. I generally watch them for a little while. Uh, I enjoy the uh, pomp and circumstance of American royalty, which are, are celebrities uh, occasionally I enjoy. I like movie stars and I, I'm, I've been candid about that. Uh, you know, I don't fawn over them. I'm not some sort of pandering fanboy, but I, I do. Uh, you know, from a very young age, uh, I've always been sort of excited by uh, the movies and movie stars. And I, and I am sort of excited to say that I've had a couple of Oscar nominees on this here show. And I don't know who's going to win. I don't know if Michael Keaton will win, but I do know that he's episode three forty nine. Of this show. I do know Laura Dern. I don't know if she's going to win. I hope she wins. I love her. She's episode 430 of this show. You get the app. You upgrade to premium app. You can go uh, listen to those. The Michael Keaton was phenomenal. Laura Dern, phenomenal episodes of this show. There's also two uh, uh, other nominees. Paul Thomas Anderson, Richard Linklater. Both available still for free. That's episodes 565 and 566. Incredible Conversations with creative people. But yeah, I do. uh, I've always been fascinated with movie stars, but also fascinated. I was thinking about this because my guest today is Nick Toshis, uh, one of the great uh, explorers of darkness, one of the great portals to the possibility of uh, possibility and reality of human corruption and the battle in our hearts with the darkness, with the evil not even so much major evil. Yes, yeah, some major evil. He definitely de- he deals with some major evil. But Nick Toshis was one of those doorways for me. You, you know, I don't know where it started for me. Do you? If you have if you have a fascination with darkness, can you place a, a memory on it? Where does it start? Where does it start? I I, I vaguely remember seeing those horrible true detective magazines on the rack. At Skaggs Drugstore in Fair Plaza in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then I became sort of fascinated with mafia, with the mafia. I got a book that all the pictures of the, of the gangsters, dead and alive, those crime scenes. I must have been like eight or nine. I think I got my parents to buy it for me at the airport. It was an encyclopedia of the mafia. I could tell you right now what Longy's Willman looked like. I had this weird obsession with uh, just the faces, black and white pictures of, of, of darkness. Manifesting in people, I had I, I had a, uh, just a compulsive fascination with. Same with um, tabloid Hollywood, old tabloid Hollywood. I had created a collage in my room when I was a kid, you know, maybe twelve, thirteen, like Fatty Arbuckle and uh, and uh, Jane Mansfield and all those horrible sort of early tabloid stuff. I was sort of fascinated with just looking at those pictures, looking at the juxtaposition between you know this extreme celebrity, this almost royal feeling and 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 mythic. Uh, presence, and then just these gutted police shots and fucking sordid business, you know, bodies missing heads and whatnot, and murder scenes and the mob, and I just it just blew my mind. And then there was also, of course, Hitler loomed large. If you were fascinated with darkness, like who is that guy? Look at all this. I was just looking at pictures. I was just fascinated with pictures of 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 people who were emanating darkness. And then as as I got older and I started to uh, sort of look at art and I got very involved with the art of Joel Peter Witkin, and 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 then you know reading Burroughs and 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 sort of excavating, uh, you know, human darkness, and uh, it just sort of it all hangs there in my heart somehow. You know, it, it, you just don't want to get the the weird thing about having a compulsion towards darkness or a morbid fascination. There was you know Manson period with me as well, and is that you you know when you really get close to it, it's you know it's very. It's disconcerting because there's party that wants to drift in, and if you're ever unfortunate enough to have that moment where you're like, I-, I think I've crossed the line, you know, you gotta, you know, either hope you you get out or or figure out how to live there. If you're in, you're in. Well, Nick Toshis always represented one of those doorways for me, and and uh, I can't even remember when I read. Uh, the first Nick Tosh's book I read, but I, I believe it was, I believe it was Dino and uh, Dino is what's the full name of the book? Dino living high in the dirty business of dreams. Someone rec- it recommended it's a, it's a biography of Dean Martin and someone recommended that book to me and said, it doesn't matter. You know, Dean Martin doesn't matter. This is not about Dean Martin. This is about, this is about darkness this is about, you, you know, that period in Hollywood. And I have a real fascination with that period in Hollywood. But there's no better celebrity biography ever written than Dino, uh, the, um, the, the Nick Tosh's book. It just, it blew my mind. It was written like a novel and I couldn't fucking put it down. Living High in the Dirty Business of Dreams, Dino. Check that. That was my entry into Nick Tosh's. And, you know, he just, he built a life. Based on research around Dean Martin, and and he he just struggled for access into whatever was going on inside of Dean Martin through the you know the world that was swirling Dean Martin through it, and you know by the end there's an emptiness to it. There's a a, a very profound and not necessarily that corrupt of a darkness uh, that that he finds in in an aging Dean Martin. And then I went on, and then you just start. Then that's that opened the door, and then I I, I got Hellfire which was his first biography of uh, Jerry Lewis, which is spectacular, a little more poetic, a little a, a little bit leaner than Dino. And then, uh, and then I got um, his, some, he did some uh, nonfiction stuff, some journalist stuff, uh, the, Unsung, the Unsung Heroes of Rock and Roll, The Birth of Rock and Roll and the Wild Years Before Elvis. Great book. Introduced me to the amazing Winoni Harris and a few other people. Uh, and then there's the book, uh the uh, the book country, another journalistic book, the twisted roots of rock and roll, which gets a little hung up on research, but not a bad book. And then there's the nonfiction books. He wrote several, uh, several novels, but there's also a tricky book called King of the Jews about uh, Arnold um, Rothstein, uh, the original, one of the original gangsters. Uh And it has a lot of uh, Christ mythology, you know, there's. He's very hung up with the with the Jesus and with the sin and with the evil and with the transgression. And I recently read part of his uh, his new uh, uh, novel, uh, which was um, "Me and the Devil," which was a little a little bit autobiographical, quite disturbing about an aging man with a younger woman. Deals with blood, <laughs> but the bottom line is is that Toshus was almost a mythic character to me, and. And, and the, getting the opportunity to talk to him was a bit overwhelming because there are people that I think possess the keys, man. There are people that I think possess the keys, the understanding of darkness. Everybody wants to have an understanding of darkness without losing themselves in it. That, that's, the, that's the allure of it. How do I get a little bit of that without becoming that or without being enveloped in it? And there are certain artists that you pick as your guides and and he was sort of one of mine so meeting him was a was sort of a big deal oh yeah before i forget i believe it's been over like it's been about 3 months i i, I can find out exactly but i know it's been i think it's over 3 months or maybe about 3 months that i haven't had any nicotine but during this nictatious interview i did have the lozenges out and he did uh he did so he did show some interest in them and it did provoke a bit of conversation about uh addiction and whatnot so that's that's what's happening if it's unclear when you reach that point in the interview um what else oh i'm i apologize i was on girls yesterday so go dvr that or don't dvr it go on demand it go watch it online go do hbo on the go or if you're watching it i i had a great time doing it sometimes things just get away from me and i forget to plug myself but you can certainly go watch it i think i was funny I met with Nick Toshes at the Bowery Hotel in my hotel room. I waited for Nick Toshes. I had my mic set up and I was nervous. You know, all I'm looking for is the conversation to flow. If anything happens above and beyond that, that's great. If that doesn't happen, it's trying for me. And when I'm looking at somebody who I consider one of the great dark Buddhas, there are a few uh, that I've known in my life that I've met and some that I haven't met. Joel Peter Wickin, Jerry Stahl, William Burroughs, um, Hubert Selby. There are people, the windows, man, the ones that went in, navigated, came out, told the tale. Dark wizards. I didn't know uh, anything about what Lenny Bruce actually did. I mean, I listened to him. But I mean, I mean, imagine to sit there and watch a guy like that, as opposed to listen to records 20 years after the fact. It's got to be a different thing.
1: Yeah. To me, Lenny Bruce always seemed uh, sort of dated, even you know, even when he was doing it.
0: Well, I don't, I don't
1: really, you know. I mean, he was still alive when I was a kid, but uh, my cousin Louie had the records, and yeah, seemed a little dated. I don't know.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I, well, because he was, he, he was using uh, a lot of those old show business, uh, you know, you know, like uh, tropes and bits and mimicking, and I think all of his references were kind of uh, like he was sort of a shitty comic that kind of broke open, became this other thing. So, like, it was all kind of sourced and shit that seemed kind of dated and hacky. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, I I liked
1: uh, Stanhope's comment on him, you know. this is like, you know, if this guy had lived, uh, he could be, like, uh, doing an Andy Rooney spot. Who knows, you know, if these people would be any good if they lived. (laughs) Well, Uh, well, that's a fucking good question, though, isn't it? It's a great question. I mean, I wonder, sometimes... You know the temptation, is, the inclination is, if you like somebody, think that well, they would have only gotten better, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, God knows. You know. Anyway.
0: Well, we well you lived, we lived. Uh, you know, you're a little older than me, but like uh, you know, I wonder that a lot about people. Like you know, the first time I read your book, and the, and, and the reason I well one of the first books I read was uh, was Dino. And that sent me down this, you know, rabbit hole of like uh, wondering, you know, who the fuck you were. And, and I recommend that book to anybody who uh, gets into show business. Like I tell them, I say, like it doesn't matter if you like Dean Martin, you know, understand what you're getting into, because there seems to be some sort of uh, constant there that you're entering a world of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That there's no way around it. Even if it was at that different time, even if it was the '40s, the '50s, it doesn't matter. It seems to me that that all the, uh, you, you know, the um, the structure of show business, for some reason, given the money and the the idea of entertaining people, there's going to be an emptiness there. There's going to be a darkness there that you're going to walk into. A a, com- a complete
1: darkness, complete emptiness,
0: and some things do never change. And, yeah, but is it? It's like. It, I like I I was trying to figure out how I was going to go about talking to you about this. Because uh, the, the the ones that I've read, you know, I've read, read Dino once or twice and and then a uh, hellfire I read and uh you know country I I read that was a lot of research country, huh? Uh it was
1: research in
0: the sense
1: that it was the the first book I ever published and the research was so intense because I, w- I was putting off the writing of it, <laughs> and so
0: did you. But did you It's get much on?
1: easier to to write to write a book when you're not writing it. Yeah, you know, when you say this is all for the book, <laughs> that's why you meet these characters that go through life like thirty years working yeah. on a book. Yeah. Why did they want to do that? Well, now I guess it's a screenplay or something. But uh, yeah, I've always loved research. But I realize when I'm not doing it for my own self satisfaction,
0: it's basically to avoid the actual writing. But what, when you do the research and you start going down like that, you know that that rabbit hole of what that music was and these characters that you were going to explore to like did at least. The process of research gets you to a point of frustration and, and, and self-hatred or something to where you were able to burrow into the shit that you really wanted to get to? I don't know where
1: self-hatred enters into it. But see, back then, it was like real research. Yeah. Now, now what is research? You go on the internet. For two seconds. All you got to do is Google it. That's research. Yeah. You know, And I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say that once in a while I don't do it. But you have to be aware when you're doing it that the misinformation is as plentiful, if not more, right. than the information. Right. Whereas, you know, going blind with uh, microfilm and old books is, uh, is a completely different deal. Um, I don't do much research anymore. Then again, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to write. So, You're, What do you
0: mean, going to retire?
1: Well, you know, I'm now uh, technically older and dirt, so I'm going to have my... Uh, Sixty fifth birthday party very soon and uh, celebration. It's not a party. To me, a party it's not a party unless it has booze. Mm-hmm. But uh, celebration and uh, the retirement may be delusional, <laughs> but at least I'll be retired for one night permanently.
0: Yeah, at, at sixty five, somehow or another, yeah. you you put the We uh,
1: associate the, the two. Right. Yeah. That's a- so why the hell not? So I'm 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 just going off and uh celebrating my what is it was the golden years right? oh yeah this, this is it. it this is it called the golden yeah. years yeah does that feel for what you a fucking, <laughs> what a what a line of shit that is the golden years you fall <laughs> apart and that's a goal you know, it's I mean? fucking it, it's it, about as gold as a commemorative coin you know it's <laughs> like you know twelve karat gold plated, electroplated.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you just see the nickel under it as it breaks oh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And then it tarnishes. Yeah. You know, the real stuff. So uh But when did you start? You started, you know you know, you grew up where? I was born in Newark and I grew up in both uh Newark and Jersey City and then moved to New York
0: in my late teens. My father's from uh Jersey City.
1: Whereabouts, you know?
0: Sny- he went to Snyder High School. Yeah,
1: my cousin Darcy went to.
0: It was one of those things where I always knew he grew up in Jersey City. I remember visiting my grandparents over there once when I was really young. And then years later, we went back. And he was like, hey, there's my old place. I'm going to get out of the car. I'm like, why don't you stay in the car?
1: Yeah. yeah
0: Snyder, their, their
1: colors were black and orange, like uh, fucking Halloween or something.
0: Yeah, I think I was born in Margaret Haig maternity. Mar- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where I was born. Yeah. I was born in Jersey Mayor City. Mayor
1: Haig, named after his wife, yeah.
0: So you're there in Jersey. What was your, what your parents? Uh, what did your old man do?
1: He, he, well, by the time I, I was, uh, I don't. Well, let's see. What did he do? He got out of the service. He became a, a bouncer and then got in the bar business, and uh, that was that was basically what he did.
0: Yeah. And then what, what were your first jobs? Uh,
1: he gave me a great job as a porter in his bar. You
0: know? What's a porter do?
1: Uh. Cleans up the the puke and piss from the previous night and uh, yeah. know, the wadded up uh, toilet paper with lipstick in the ladies' room and uh, yeah. learns very early on that women are much bigger slobs than men. <laughs> that was the first uh, lesson. And then mops and you know, just, yeah. you know just that's what I did, I did that before. I went to school in the mornings and
0: uh, there's something about about that about being in a bar when you're younger when you can't when you don't know that life. And just you know, having to deal with the aftermath of whatever went on the night before, and yeah. the, it's sort of a weird entrance into that that world of like, uh, grown ups are up to something,
1: and then to be part of it later on, yeah. these vague memories. But i I never put, I never threw a cigarette butt in a urinal. I remember in they, my adult years, that's what you I, learned. I remembered picking them out, you know. And there were none of these sanitary gloves involved and uh, <laughs> just washed up after yeah and then I, you know I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be a, a writer a poet you know and uh, so I started writing
0: who was it what inspired you to do that who were you guys I mean at that time when you read when you I
1: I, I well I was reading just trash
0: yeah so uh,
1: but there's there was something about writing that appealed to me it was I felt the need to communicate, and there were, was really no one around to communicate to or with. And uh, being a, a, a coward by nature, you can communicate. Writing is a great way to, like, you know, communicate while you know hiding in a corner facing a wall. It's basically an act of fear, and then. <laughs> If you're fortunate, you get over the fear, and then you're stuck with this writing, Jones, and then you you start to learn how to write. Right. It's like anything else. A coward by nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hell. Yeah. I still am. I mean, I don't want to die.
0: Right. Well, does that make you a coward or just a person?
1: Well, if Well person is even more generalized and coward everybody's probably got to be a little driven of- by fear especially those who pretend they're not
0: yeah they're the know. worst all that uh, bravado these days
1: i don't i don't want to be a person i mean i look around the streets and uh, yikes is this my species you know yeah
0: way. yeah so okay so you start right and you get you know you get your chops and what you come into the city uh well, do you have other jobs
1: I had other jobs I had man I had, I was I was a snake hunter in Florida
0: how long would that go on for
1: a few so like a bit uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a bit well how'd you get down to Florida that place Oh, went... I was just bumming around with this buddy of mine and uh they were building they were finishing the building of Disney World, I guess in Orlando. We right. had construction jobs there. Then we had other jobs and uh got laid off and I don't know. We ended up drifting South in Florida. Tried to rob a a, a boat from a boat basin. This scheme of going catfishing and making a ton of money.
0: I don't know On a either. stolen boat?
1: Yeah, you know, didn't, nothing, nothing worked the out. The plans didn't go, didn't happen. Nothing worked out. And, you know, I came back, I came back to New York. I got married. Uh, Did you go to college? No, no, I didn't want to. I mean, I wanted, I wanted money to 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 drink with. Yeah. And back then, I was making one hundred twenty five bucks a week working for a Lovable Underwear Company, at two hundred Madison. And for hundred and twenty-five bucks a week, you could pay your rent, eat, and get drunk. And <laughs> imagine living. that now. I mean, you can have. You can have, I still have the same amount left over at the end of each week, but it so takes it's a like, lot more. And and there's no inflation. The government yeah. says. You know,
0: so. yeah. All right. So you're here. You've done some snake hunting. You've cleaned up urinals. No, yeah. <laughs> you've worked for an underwear company. <laughs> And now you're, you're living in New York. Where were you living initially?
1: Uh, my first place in New York was in, it was between Central Park and Lincoln Center, 63rd Street, I believe. And the rent was $90 a month. For a studio? No, one bedroom. Oh, my God. And then, and, then, and then when I got married, when I came back from Florida, I was living in a flop house called the Alton House on uh, 14th Street near 7th Avenue. And I met this uh, young lady that lived around the corner on 15th Street and 7th Avenue in a real apartment. So I married her. S- no, f- or First, I snuck out of the flop house without paying a week's rent <laughs> with my typewriter, moved in with her. I was married for five years. Got married in New York, moved down to Nashville, where I finished writing that book, Country, that you mentioned, and it uh, c- c- came back divorced.
0: Yeah, Nashville at that time. It got it out of my blood. Do yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> look, I've been through two. Yeah. I got no kids. That's a Why real. Why the
1: second time though? That's the one that always gets me.
0: Well, I left the first one for the second one because that had to be
1: the answer. You was a guy. I remember it was seventy-five bucks to get divorced in Tennessee, and this guy Bart Durham, this yeah. black divorce law. I never forget I'm sitting in his office, the phone rings and it's some guy who wanted to know if his
0: divorce was finalized so he could get married.
1: Yeah, that was you. Well, you know, it was one of, it
0: was one of those things where you know, sometimes you get married because like, you know, you think you you, you sort of you sort of wired for it somehow or another culturally. It's like thinking you need to retire at 65. There's something in your brain that thinks like, "Well, this ought to fucking solve it." Yeah. This 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 is what people do. And then you do it and you're like, What the fuck did I do this for?
1: That's right. But did you ever come up with an answer other than that? It's what people other people did. That was part of my reason. I mean, I would I was hanging out in a bar and at about certain hour every night these guys would say, Well, I'm gonna go home and eat, I'll see you in a little while and then go home and they they'd get a meal and then come back out and I said, This doesn't sound that bad, you know? <laughs> I mean uh it's so just somebody who feeds you. Yeah, it's, you, a, it, it's a good way to like never learn <laughs> to take care of yourself. You know yeah. I
0: mean? Well, I don't know. I guess I don't know what it th- I don't know what the hell my idea was because I didn't end up having any kids. You know, but I, I'm still working with that. I'm still working on that shit. I don't fucking know anymore.
1: Well, I mean,
0: just you getting ready for number three? Or? No, I, I think I've gotten too cynical. Too cynical. Well, no. I mean, whatever the virtues of it are, you know, the the first one was, you know appropriate and seemed like I could have entered the world of a sort of middle-class security or some sort. You know, they come from a pretty good family, grounded. The second one was fucking stunning, left me, crushed me, didn't really fucking bounce back. Well, how long did you stay crushed for? A year? Maybe three. Like, I find that, you know, with the heartbreak, if it's deep enough, it, it doesn't ever really go away. It just sort of kind of mumbles along well it's good to live
1: with heartbreak i mean heartbreak's easier to live with than most women you know i've found (laughs) it's it's sort of like once you give up hope life is life is more pleasant yeah (laughs) yeah
0: there is it's a little there's a little bit bit of a weight to it to 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 hopelessness and and to you know there's yeah there's a freedom to it and then you
1: reach a certain age and it's sort of like Huh, who's going to take care of me? Let's see. Well, that's, they, yeah. can, got I no do, can I do
0: this myself forever? You right. Know. Well, I think that's what kids ultimately are. Yeah, that's but right. don't
1: don't kids usually, they, did they dump their
0: parents. Yeah, and throw so them in the home. Like,
1: that's the real heartbreak, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. So at least we avoid that.
0: Well, back when you were a kid, and probably maybe just after I was a kid, I mean, you know, if if, uh, if grandma was dying, you did it in the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You go over there, there was a hospital bed in the living room. and was yeah, the that? There seemed to be
1: something not unlike love.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Among... Uh, family? Among family. And now it seems like, whoa, I don't know.
0: It's hard to figure out because, uh, you know, this sort of weird selfishness, and uh, I don't know if it's narcissism or what, but the the sort of importance of self is elevated above all else. I mean, I, what,
1: do these, like... Gordon Gecko types that are aging as we speak. Yeah. You know, with the uh the billion the cute, dollars. The cute wife. Yeah. And the kids that are raised by the uh, three hundred pound Haitian nannies, yeah. The dog with the dog walker. Do they experience love? I don't know. Or is man. it sort of like fun? Yeah, they had, it's an historical thing that they have no consciousness of. Fun, love—it's they go through the motions. I don't. Know. It's
0: sort of like the end of Dino. I mean, you know what's yeah. in there? What's in there? Yeah, you know? D- Dean. I would say, in a way,
1: was an inspirational character. Yeah. I mean, he showed how to deal with all that stuff that destroys people just by removing himself partly from it. Yeah, and, have you figured and from, that out from his own life? Right. You
0: know? Well, when, what's like let's go back to Nashville for a second. So you were in Nashville for a few years? Yeah. Why there? Just a research or you were-
1: I I I'd gone down uh somebody offered me a job down there. And I went down. It was a great job. Uh doing nothing basically, drinking drinking. Yeah. And uh and it, it was it was pleasant down there. I really I really enjoyed Nashville in those days. I've been back. It's not the same place. The countryside around there was beautiful. I f- eventually finished that book there, and then, as I said, when, after I got divorced, when I got divorced, I, I came back here. Uh, when
0: well, did you? When did you start writing about music, though? What would you, what drove you? Music. Toward, when did what drove you towards? Well,
1: that? it was because there were all these so-called underground rock and roll places where you. You could write and make like 10 or 15 or 20, 20 bucks even. I think that was Rolling Stone. It was like 20. They paid you 20 bucks. So you
0: just write. saw it as a gig.
1: Yeah. It was a way to get, to get published and make a few bucks that since, you know, the big glossy magazines were impossible to break into. So, people these days don't have those opportunities. But you
0: weren't in, in a sense that, you know, it's nicotine. I haven't smoked a fucking cigarette in 10 years, but I eat those things all day. Years? Yeah. Wow,
1: God bless you. Yeah, the doctor's trying to get me, wants me to take Shantax.
0: Yeah, I, I. you know, it's this shit will give you the shit. <laughs> like, I get the nicotine.
1: Yeah, but I'm, I'm basically addicted to smoking. I know, not, not I Not to know. nicotine. I, know yeah, I, mean? I, I thought
0: I was. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> yeah. 10 years on these things. Mm-hmm. Woof.
0: No, the good thing about these, man, is that, like, you know, you can regulate how much you're getting. So, like, you know, in the way yeah,
1: that... Yeah, but, I mean, and, and so, obviously... You feel it, man. You're still addicted yeah. because you're taking these pills. that's
0: exact. No, they're, they're candy. They're, they You suck on them. And, and they're you- nicotine candy. Yeah, yeah. Listen,
1: well, nicotine's a drug. I mean, it's a pill.
0: Oh, absolutely. But it's like there's a, there's a pleasure to it. Yeah, I know. I try not to go to that place. Well, and you but...
1: Enjoy them. I mean, it's. Like, <laughs> yeah. I like this. Yeah, poison. Well, how? How? What? So, ten years without smoke, but yeah, how long without one of these have you gone?
0: I don't know, man. It's like a, I guess a year or so ago, I went. A, I went about a month without anything, and it was just uh, unbearable—the amount of anger that was available to me. Well, have you tried other substances? Yeah, I don't do nothing no more. I got fifteen years sober. 15 years clean.
1: I don't do nothing no more.
0: Yeah, dang, I do do nothing no more. You? Uh,
1: well, cigarettes, uh, cigars are a pleasure, not an addiction. They're great, right? I really liked them, but I, I got busted for bringing cig- buying cigars
0: through the internet. What, the Cubans? Yeah, Homeland Security. Really? Yeah. What, what, how, what do you mean, busted? They arrested yeah, you?
1: I had a notice from Homeland Security. It's like if I wanted my impounded goods, come and get them. It was like a 20-page document, you know, the day of the paperwork reduction. Act. But I was in England recently, and uh, I enjoyed them there. I, I plan to enjoy them on my... Uh,
0: on your, At my re- retirement, retirement
1: celebration, my uh, yeah, my birthday celebration. It's
0: it's, one, it's one of those things that, like you know, even the, any average asshole really can afford the best of of a best cigar. It's an affordable luxury, really. You know what I mean?
1: I I really enjoy that cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm I'm good. Or you know, maybe a glass of port. But no, I don't do anything much anymore. I even I had to stop reef stop smoking reefer. Because my diabetes, because Reefer would make me want to eat the worst possible. Oh, yeah. It never makes you want to eat, like, a steak and a salad. No, pint of ice cream. Yeah. You know, <laughs> things, things are just, oh, Drake, Drake's Ringdings. You yeah. Know, oh. <laughs> yeah, a box of those. Is the strawberry ice cream enough? It'll yeah. go well with the butter pecan. <laughs> oh, you know? fuck yeah. Two pints. So I, I, that's why I stopped smoking uh, Reefer. And I basically lost my... Uh, lost my thirst for booze
0: you never got strung out though
1: Uh, yeah i've been strung out on a a couple things over the years long ago but yeah no i just basically stopped taking everything and i want to you know i like to be present in my own life both for better and for worse so I, 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 I get, I'm getting off on that. I'm getting off on watching the whole. I never thought the apocalypse would be such a mediocrity that nobody would
0: notice. Such it. a bore. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I'm really getting off on watching the world just completely go to hell, and looking at all these idiots around me. Yeah. It, 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 it's terrific.
0: Yeah. It's like there, I think the world ended about six years ago. we yeah. now we're just yeah. The, I guess it was so dull. Everybody's yeah. waiting just missed for it. <laughs>
1: You, you know, this, this, you know, it's a three hundred million dollar Hollywood production no. here with special effects. No. That was it. No, that this is it. this that is the post-apocalypse. This, this is the post-apocalyptic world, and they keep uh, making all those movies. God,
0: just keeps repeating itself. Have you noticed that as you get older? That like the promotion and the movies themselves. It's just this repetition of garbage. Oh, that like you know, seasonal garbage. It's just like the same thing over and over again. It gets bad when you want to go to a movie theater on
1: a weekday afternoon in the dead of summer just for the air conditioning, and you, you can't bear the prospect of, like... Of having, any of them. Yeah, having that even, you know... You'd rather be in the heat than, <laughs> than deal with what you're going to have to I put mean, in your he, head. you know, these, these... these And you always hear, these movies, like, fall down in their face, and you always hear... But it, it'll do well overseas.
0: Yeah, and you're thinking, like, what kind of morons we've Is that overseas? like some
1: kind of, like... American arrogance, that you know. Uh, no, that's how we ma- That's well, we, we shit, they eat it. That's you know? right. Yeah, we're mm-hmm.
0: exporting the apocalypse. Yeah. The, the subtle apocalypse is making money overseas.
1: No, I mean, I'm, the United States of America was like twice around the fountain and into the dirt. <laughs> You know the the American dream you know like the only country that ever saw ourselves as a dream, yeah. no, it's real, jack, yeah you know' it's, <laughs> and it's over it's no good,
0: so back in the seventies, you weren't like a like a you know die hard rock and roll guy uh, would, in the seventies i
1: I always liked the older r and b right uh, my cousin Dorothy is older than I, and I listened to a lot of the stuff she listened to. Well, to this yeah, and so it was rock and roll, and then I sort of lost interest in that by the 70s. It was in the 70s that I lost interest.
0: But you weren't part of the whole, like, you know, Legs McNeil, you, is he a friend of yours?
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't say friend.
0: Yeah, no, but like, acquaintance. but you weren't part of the defining no, voice of no, that punk no, thing. No, no,
1: no, no, I, I didn't even know what the hell it was, to tell you yeah. the truth, I mean. I remember, I remember the 70s. Uh, you know, a lot of people think I, I was because it, I wrote this article in
0: 1969 called The Punk Muse. Yeah. And
1: boy, this guy used the, you know, coined the phrase. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, I, that's not what I had in mind, you know. It wasn't even.
0: You were misinterpreted
1: and you became. I don't know. Well, you. Yeah, To live is to be misinterpreted, right?
0: Yeah. Only you know if you're lucky. Well, you got to do is go to a deli counter, you know. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) So you got kind of lumped in with that
1: crew? Yeah, yeah, it didn't bother me. I mean, it didn't bother me. And then, as I said, the music was really tied into just having an outlet, a place to write. And a lot of the so-called music stuff I did had, like, nothing to do with
0: music uh i mean oh, that was happening then or that was happening period well it i mean the just, unsung heroes of rock and roll after yeah that I, was fun that yeah was fun. it was fun well, after, well that
1: started out as a, as a column for cream magazine yeah more people have told me that 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 book makes them laugh and any other thing i got.
0: Not only that, it makes me laugh but like i you know i didn't know who Winona Winoney Harris was. Yeah. So like after i read that book, you know i started amassing those those records uh. and listening to them because like i you know i had to complete my own education. So i mean it was a, you know an informative book.
1: Well it was great stuff and and back then if you wanted to hear Winoni Harris you had to get the old records, 78s or
0: right, king LPs. These days, you, you know, it's all available, which is which good. is good. Yeah, and when and when you wrote, when you decided to write on Jerry Lee Lewis, which was a, you know, th- that was really the first biography you did, right?
1: Y- yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a biography. It was. I don't know how the hell to describe it. Jerry Lee fascinated me as a human being, and when you, you write a. When I write a biography, I yeah. have to be completely fascinated by some historical figure who whose core is a mystery that remains unsolved, and usually has something to do with the mystery in me that is unsolved, even to my, myself. And Jerry Lee struck me as the kind of guy. He's the only, probably the only person I can think of. Uh, whom egomania fitted, you right? Know, was becoming. He was also, if you know, th- there's no heaven, no hell, but he's going to invent hell just so he can go there. <laughs> and, and he's, he's great, uh, great artist. Talk about it. strung out and uh, self abuse. Here's a guy. You look at a picture of the so-called Million Dollar Quartet. You got Elvis, Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. And who on earth, what would the odds have been that the last one alive is Jerry Lee? Right. I love that. Yeah. I love that. He's, <laughs> yeah. a, great, he's a great man,
0: <laughs> a great American. God bless him. Uh, and then also in the book, he played him against his cousin. Who Jimmy, was, was it? Who, who Jimmy, Jimmy Lee Jim, Swagger. Jimmy Swagger was his cousin. And Yeah. Yeah, and you had that, you, you, you had your sort of, uh, you know, this sort of self-righteousness, you know, versus the devil. And, and and it turns out that the self righteous guy was you know infinitely more evil in a way.
1: Oh, uh, uh, he was a he was a true hypocrite, and, right. and
0: Jerry Lee never
1: was. I remember Jerry Lee used to point out uh, before Swagger's downfall, he would say. Yeah, my cousin Jimmy, the big man, the Holy Ghost Fields.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that guy.
1: The Holy Ghost field. That's you know. beautiful. That's yeah. like the word racket. I yeah. like the word yeah. racket. Yeah. Oh, well, One of my favorites. It's so all-encompassingly descriptive. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's, everything is crooked or people want it to be. Everybody has a gimmick. I remember well, that's well,
0: that's one of the benef- the benefits of that's one of the good things about America is that like you want to invent yourself, you want to sell some bullshit, go ahead, see what yeah, you can do with it. The, the market's there. The market's there, but the trick
1: is these days, I don't know what what does sell these
0: days. Well, who's in charge of the bullshit? That becomes a big question because yeah. it seems like there's it's about ninety percent bullshit. Yeah. And there's a lot of it. And now you got these machines that are just they all they're, they're just hungry for content. What do you got? What can you give us for nothing? You know, that, the people are waiting. That was a a
1: a, a great revelation to me it, within the last year that I always thought I was a writer and then I found out the new word for new phrase for writing is providing content. Yeah. So if somebody asked me what I did for a living, I would say it was content provider. You know? <laughs> it's like I run into a guy in a bar and he starts talking to me. I said, "What do you do for a living?" I'm an entrepreneur. huh. I mean, period. That's it. It's not entrepreneur yeah. of. Right. But I mean, imagine the way
0: people describe themselves. Yes, yeah. I'm. I'm in the content providing field.
1: You know, I mean, that's what is that? That's probably the new euphemism for unemployed entrepreneur
0: sure yeah yeah uh, that that's something that can happen entirely in your head
1: yeah and we have all these <laughs> experts that are not expert at anything can you hook up this uh tv so that it works with the amp properly i only <laughs> want one remote control can't find anybody who can do it the computer guy who sits there does the same thing you do and you're watching him and he's getting paid by the hour mm-hmm. to do the same unsuccessful thing. So I don't know. I mean, it's like to hell with everybody. I just I'm enjoying watching everything go down. I got two books coming out, so I feel like you know I've I've done enough. I've done enough.
0: You, you got you got them coming out now.
1: Well, I got one coming out very soon. This is my first children's book, my first and last children's book, and then I have my next. <laughs> Really big novel, my uh, coming out next summer. I finished that. That's the, it's the one true, the one true gospel. It's the true story of Jesus
0: Christ. Really? Yeah, it
1: it it, it actually is. And
0: what did you do for research on that one?
1: I, I studied uh, the gospels, both the orthodox ones and the uh, uh, apocrypha, and uh, read around. The basic theological and historical th- thought now is, well, nothing in the Gospels could have happened. Uh, none of this was possible. None of it did happen. And yet I believe. they're always written by these believers that can't even believe the, the, the you know, the, the pitch. Right. So I, I took it from there. I took it from there. I got a little inspirational history going. So that may be my last book, or I might, I might write a book called
0: "Live Wrong, Live Long." There you go, and you can cite. You know, you can. Cite I mean, like right
1: real, it. real help for people that like you know how to like not you know. You ever see this guy, Doctor Andrew Wheeler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who buys this guy? You know, and it's like he smiles right.
0: Yeah. he's got that beard.
1: He smiles right. Yeah. He's got the the avuncular beard. Yeah, he's not in it for your money.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He's you know? there to help. Yeah, <laughs> I would just wish he would just like keel over and drop dead while he's doing one of his things. You know, yeah. What yeah. I mean, because yeah, he's gonna help you. You know, mm-hmm. eat nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, like it's like, it, <clears throat> but the guys who, like somebody like Jerry Lee, who can't, who can't help but be himself. You know, and, and yeah, right. right. So he's gonna push the envelope on that. But I think it's interesting that, you know, the idea that, you know, live wrong, live long is that, you know, maybe if you're you're at least, you know, honest with your desires and impulses and, and, you know, you push it out into the world, maybe part of your maybe part of your karma or whatever the fuck you want to see is that well you're gonna have to you're gonna live longer than everybody else and you're gonna have to live with that.
1: Or you just I mean, I remember thinking it when I was in my twenties that if Okay, I'll live to be thirty-two. That's enough, and then it's just sort of like you know, death doesn't want you. You know, it's like, yeah, honesty—that is the most difficult thing because increasingly people not only are dishonest, but they don't know what honesty is because they've never met themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go you go to a job between lying. To your coworkers and your boss. Lying for a living. That's most of your waking hours. Then you lie to your wife. I mean, then you just lie to people in social situations to impress them. And now it's so easy with all this uh, communication. Social networking platform. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, is there honesty anymore of any kind? I, I think, you know, like I said, most people don't have never met themselves. They'll go from the womb to the grave without ever meeting themselves. Yeah, you can
0: meet yourself. You can love yourself, hate yourself, but at least you're there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that I don't think anyone can be truly honest because everybody's lying to themselves. Well,
1: to a certain. Well, everyone lies to himself, but honesty is such a gasp because it really upsets people. It scares the shit out of them.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it really that's what it, does. That's why Stanhope is so compelling. You think is it, that's
1: it? That's secret? Yeah.
0: Like, let's say you're going to be honest about, you know, how you're feeling or where you're at or, you know, you you, you know a lot of times when you're honest, there's a desperation to it, you know? Like, it, 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 sometimes people are the most honest when they're in the most fear and they need help. And, and it, I think what frightens me is that, you know, when I talk to people, and I've talked to a lot of people one-on-one is that, you know, human beings are built to sort of shoulder the burden of others. They can do it. But, you know, in the culture we live in now, no one's got fucking time for it. So you lose that whole element of communication. And, you know, everybody's just set adrift on their own to, you know, sit in their own shit, which I guess, you know, you do anyways. But I think there was a time, I think, when you talk about when you were younger about family and about that kind of shit, it was sort of understood that at least you had that to fall back on. And I think that's gone.
1: Well, hence the increased edge to the desperation yeah, no doubt the, 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 there is nothing to fall nobody's arms to fall back into if you do you're going to crack your skull open on the street yeah but it's a it's a gas like allowing yourself the time freedom silence and solitude to truly experience how desperate you are yeah rather than turn it sideways or shut it off with television or or a cell phone yeah. or an app yeah yeah, yeah. It, it that can really be a of. No, and, no,
0: and, and when
1: you look around with those fresh eyes you really see you thought you were desperate look at the desperation around you get the you. clarity i mean even every every one of these smiles and giggles and laughs and chatters it, it's all total desperation
0: and <laughs> again <laughs> i love it well, that's the interesting thing about some of the guys you write about. In when you say that you choose somebody to write about, if you can, you know, find that mystery in yourself that you haven't resolved, and there, there's something compelling about, you know, how they've, you know, wrestled with it or transcended it,
1: or just embody it. You
0: know? Yeah, that what do you, like when you look at somebody like uh, Dean Martin, like these are guys that, you know, especially at the end of Dino, and we we can move through the other books as well. That you know. At the end, you don't really get an emptiness, but you get a guy that somehow, or another, despite everything he's given to the world or however he's been interpreted, he, you know, he's sitting with that fucking with with, with the truth of himself, and nobody knows it but him. If he's fortunate
1: like Jerry Lee, to, to to be aware that the truth of himself is always present beside him and not being expounded upon completely. If it comes out, it comes out. Uh, a, a skewer by mistake or it slips out.
0: So. Right. And what about like, you know, somebody like, uh, like the Sonny Liston book was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. But did you, did you see Sonny Liston as a as, as, as a victim?
1: I saw Sonny List, well, it's hard to call uh, a guy who went around, you know, beating up old men for change a, a victim. <laughs> but yeah, he was. And what fascinates me to this moment about Sonny Liston is as a, uh, Late great, uh, my countryman from Newark, Leroy Jones, and Mary Baraka said he was the big black spook in every white man's doorway. It was like white people hated him and feared him, and black people wanted nothing to do with him because they were trying to be respectably middle class. And yeah, he was, I mean, he was undefeatable physically. And his soul was so out of place in this world. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen letters he attempted to write. Well, I wrote about them in the book, those letters. Yeah, listen. you know, what a, I mean, who cares about, you know, these million-dollar baseball players, whether they're on Dope or not. You know, Sonny Liston was, He just a great American, I know. Yeah. And, you know, glossed over by, the the great the truly great Americans get airbrushed out of the picture by America. It's like taking a cigarette out of Robert Johnson's mouth. You see the new hundred dollar bills, you look at an old one. Benjamin Franklin has a fur collar. Not on the new ones, it's like this is America, buddy. You get that cigarette out of your mouth. Get that in politically incorrect collar off today.
0: Where did they take the cigarette out of Robert Johnson's mouth?
1: on postage stamp. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, on, they're always just, like honoring like black history. Right. So it's like, well, we can honor it, but first we have to clean it up. know, It's like, man, the hell. Well,
0: now that you see like the, the end of it, and when you talk about true Americans, you know, like Jerry Lewis and Sonny Liston, you know, how do you define that for yourself? People that
1: stand out from the huddled masses yearning to be rich and mediocre Uh, because free has got nothing to do with this country. This country every day is less free, and people accept it. They embrace it. They don't know what to do with... It's like the tales they used to tell after the Civil War. They freed the slaves. They got 10 miles down the road, and a lot of them turned back. People can't handle freedom. People... No one in this country has a, should ever make a comment about it. I don't see how the German people allowed that to happen because as a people, we do anything we're told.
0: Yeah.
1: Any Anything. Yeah. And uh, if you're mediocre enough or big enough con to you become a hero. Like when I was a kid, there were very few heroes. Now it's like, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a hero. So, okay. <laughs> Professional hero. hero. I mean, what the hell hero? You know, it's like I mean these people get killed in this building downtown. It's like nobody nobody honors like the the you know, the cleaning lady that took the subway down at five o'clock in the morning to mop up those floors. Anyway, many tangents
0: and uh Well when you did um The King of the Jews, which I, 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 I go in and out of that book. It's a very dense book. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Strange book,
0: yeah. It is a strange book. What, what 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 was the agenda with that book? What were you looking for?
1: Oh, he fascinated me because he was he was the patriarch of organized crime in New York and pretty much the United States. In New York, I mean, he he inaugurated the dope racket the day the dope became illegal. Uh, he was the mentor to. All the more well-known characters from Meyer Lansky to Lucky Luciano who worked, when they were kids, they worked for him. You know, he, he, back in the good old days of New York, I love that period of New York history to read about it. Uh, you know, Mayor Walker, Arnold Rustin, when it was was a city that never sleeps. Right and Now it's, what is it? I don't know, you know, it's.
0: Well S-S-S- I don't know what the hell you call this
1: place.
0: Well the the, the the interesting thing that I noticed about Hollywood and about New York too is that there was a time when there were switchboards and it, it was a much more intimate landscape. And you know, the the sort of hierarchy of both the the, the criminal element and, and the uh the, the non criminal element was uh, is pretty well defined. Like right. I mean any guy in the street would know who Arnold Rothstein was in right. New York at that time. And now there's no fucking way. To know, yeah, to know, yeah, well, what the, the, hell's the going criminal
1: on. element is like a consortium between the governments and the banks. You know, sure. we need to stimulate credit. So, Why don't you use the word debt? That's what you're talking about. Yeah, we need to get yeah. the entire country into deeper debt to make money, you know? yeah. And then there is no more money there, just you, you know, digits on, on, on computer transfers.
0: That's, so, that's exactly right. Yeah, you can just lose everything because someone uh, forgot a number yeah yeah you got nothing there's been a mistake made we lost a number
1: this is it it's like (laughs) well the tax system's almost like that you know it's like they can turn like 200 grand into five grand you know completely legally i mean according to since they make the laws what do you think of burroughs oh uh a very interesting old crackpot queen you know basically a a science fiction writer with a, 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 a dirty mind who uh, got very lucky. He's funny. I, I I I mean, a lot of his ideas are they fascinate me only because they're just so bizarre. And he had, he had this pseudoscience thing going. You know, it's like he had the cure for the common cold. He right. couldn't cure his own cold. Right. Uh, he had a book. He was he went on a retreat one time. I'm gonna quit smoking. I got the book to teach you how. I gotta go off to the woods and do it. You know, and then there he is. You know,
0: smoking. smoking.
1: <laughs> yeah, your bar's good. You know, stylistic. All this stuff with cut ups. I mean, that's just part of. He he cashed in pretty good at the end. I like his Nike commercial, his sneakers commercial.
0: <laughs> but he had that idea that that I think that we're sort of talking about a little bit. The idea of a nation of rats. Yeah. That, you know, that, that there is some prophecy to some of the weird shit that he was pulling well, that, out of
1: it. That, that's stuff that interests me.
0: Yeah. Know? Because what you have now is that this idea that we were going to live in a, this kind of big brotherish type of world. And then you realize that, like, not, not only do we live in it, but we are it. And, you know, and that's content from provi- it. That's how you provide content. That with all the social networking, you know, that if you have any, you, know, you can't do anything without somebody seeing you somehow. You know, and and and
1: that's literally true. Exactly. And it's like the truth is a lie by nature. It's like a Hollywood truth is a lie. And it's like that universally. I mean, George Orwell, I mean, this is so beyond his being on target. I would
0: Right, no. We, the the idea of Orwell was that we, you know, we'd be up against something oppressive, and and the truth of the matter is, it, we've embraced it, we're transcended our, we're our, it. We're our
1: own oppressors, exactly, and, and and we love it. Yeah, exactly. You know, Self flagellance. Yeah. you know. Yeah, we just love it.
0: Well, when you write a book like the last novel, when you, you know, which was, you know, raw to the point of like, you know, because I could not not picture you as the protagonist in Me and the Devil. I mean, I couldn't, like, you know, I had to put you in there. I got another friend, my buddy Sam Lipsight, you know, that kid. He's a, he's a great writer. He's a novelist. Okay. And like he, you know, whenever I read his books and I talk to him about it and I say to him, it's like, you know, that part where you're, uh, you're doing that girl. He's like, he's not me. It's not me. It's not me. It's it's a fiction. It's a fiction. That's always the convenient out. I mean, that's that, that's that's the
1: best thing about you know writing under the rubric of fiction. Yeah. Well, that wasn't me. It's a character that has my name, but uh, yeah, nothing to do with it, you know. It's like <laughs> But how how close was that one to you? Oh, let's see. How do I give an honest but somewhat accurate answer? It was very close to me. Yeah. Uh but not all the way, of
0: course. Not all the way. Like, how Catholic were you when you were a kid? I was not m- at all. Because, like, I, you know, something I realized this morning is that you know the benefit, the the, the gift of Catholicism is this elaborate notion of of historical evil and, and that it has a face and that it has a, a methodology mm-hmm. and that that it has a you know a mythology all its own. And do, do you you know in, in in the sense of of you know relationship with sin or the devil you know what what are the struggles that go on in your own head about that
1: i i really don't have any None. I'm, I'm sort of free of that there might have been some when i was a, a little boy See, my upbringing was not religious the, the trappings of religious were present yeah you know there'd be a crucifix on the wall and next to it like a souvenir plaque from asbury park that said puppy's love leads to a dog life, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, it's like my grandmother from Italy would have told you, that, yeah, sure, Jesus Christ, he really existed. But she, her religion was basically superstition. Right. It was like she'd see a license plate, play that number. Right. Uh, what was it? You know, don't open an umbrella inside the house. Don't do she had a, She had scores. of. Them. And I'm becoming more and more like that the older I get. Yeah. You know? Like what? I just believe in superstition. I mean, I, I just—I'm superstitious. I mean, it makes more sense than any other damn religion I can think of.
0: Well, what is some Jerry
1: of? Jerry Lee Lewis pointed out, and he was right. I went home and checked it. The word religion is never mentioned in the Bible, in any language. Uh, so now, religion has not been a big part of my life, except I'm fascinated by. I want to know whether man created the concepts of good and evil for self-protection, or he invented the gods first. And I think it was good and evil, it makes more sense, and then the god just to protect himself, you know. Thou shalt not kill. Well, I don't want you killing me, so it's like God said, it, not me. it's, you know, it's just-
0: Got to make it a universal law
1: yeah under, under under punishment of of suffering in hell right you know uh, so you, see, you know what it is basically i don't give a damn about any any of these gods or these religions or these things that people kill themselves for or believe in or shake people down over it's 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 like i don't really be- i don't believe in uh, donald duck yeah. you know it's and it's all behind, it's all away from me. It's apart from me. Yeah, I, I yeah, like yeah. looking at this. This. Oh, I don't want to sound like a sap, but maybe I am a sap. I, don't know. I like looking at the. Not today. Not this gray uh, cardboard-colored sky. But I look. I like looking, watching the clouds roll by in the sky. I like the ocean. I like. I like birds. I like money. <laughs> I like women's legs. <laughs> I like. I like coffee. So these are a few of my favorite things.
0: I like it. So when when you talk about this the 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 good and evil thing, where I mean what where do you land on that? I mean it, it's
1: first of all the world is evil in the most boring way. Yeah. Listen to anybody who's out to save the world. They're out to grow fatter, richer off of your ass. Mhm. This is evil. I mean, th- th- you know, th- charity. That's another great racket. People are just evil. Anybody. It's a world of evil. It's just that evil has become so boring. I mean, it's so dull. It's like trying to go to the movies, trying to find like evil that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to create it. You have to do it, and then you sit around and say. What a deranged mind! I mean, he's a guy just you know he had a hobby. It was like like you bored him, so he was going to make life interesting. I'll sever a few heads, you know. I'll I'll do some nice things to people, interesting things. (laughs)
0: Like these guys, like all the guys that you were kind of fascinated with. What ultimately did you find out about these guys that helped you out, or that you know that made you grow, or opened your heart in a certain way?
1: Well. One thing they had in common was that they they did remove themselves from e- either by intention or by circumstance, they were removed from this mainstream of flowing mud that we call life in general. Yeah. And I saw that as, as a road to freedom and salvation. I mean... All roads lead nowhere, but at least you look at some characters like that, and its they led exceptional lives. They led exceptional lives. I I believe, as I said, Dean Morton's an inspirational character to me, more so than Jesus, Jerry Lee Lewis. Sonny List, in a way, as tragic as his life was. We don't turn to these people for inspiration. Huh? What do we turn to these days? I don't yeah, that's like these books, the unbearable lightness of being. I mean, what bullshit! Give me a fucking break! The unbearable <laughs> lightness of being. I mean, if that, it's like, see, Liberace, well, Liberace said it better. Yeah. You know, it's just <laughs> the, the unbearable racket of being. It says it. Uh, no I mean, maybe I maybe after I retire I'll write
0: that book but the idea that it's sort of like all right you know once we get past all the bullshit all you have is this strange little fucking you know this compulsive desire machine that is never gonna be fucking happy and that you know is is never gonna you you, you know if it's all bullshit you know all you're left with is is you know not really misery but the but the truth of, of a relentless meaningless process that you know maybe you can find occasional moments of relief in. And <laughs> i
1: hey, this is, again there's inspiration too. You can find it anywhere if you know where to look. Yeah. I mean, you know, embrace the misery is came uh, yeah. came up with this embrace shit, you know, but or, or, do that. Embrace the misery, the desolation, the loneliness. And if you do and you realize that you're better off than ninety nine percent of the population who don't realize it? Who cannot be alone with themselves for ten seconds? Who cannot bear a moment of silence, lest they be frightened by the, by the emptiness within them?
0: But like in like, because in the in in the in the last novel, in Me and the Devil, I mean, it seems to me that's you sort of at the end of the rope of of where desire is going to take oh, you. Oh,
1: yeah, <laughs> that's what it was, and it just, and it was like complete
0: pitch black uh, I, I can't imagine because yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm i'm approaching that that you know that that anything you hung any sort of hope on whether it be love or sex or or or, or going to the edge of, of of desire itself you know however evil you may see that in your own mind or however it's judged by others at the other side of that if you come through and you don't you know do anything heinous that's going to end up in, you get you in prison that all you have there is then you got nothing
1: well then you have discover new things if you you discover new things. You're back where you started from, basically.
0: Yeah. At least
1: at least you've had fulfilled desires. You come out of the other end of desire. Yeah. And you realize, okay, you know, that's it. You know, <laughs> that dandruff shampoo is empty. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you, your desires become, I don't want to say stranger because that is a bad implication, but you start to desire like, Everything you've, you've, like, I've, we always, we most miss, we long for what we never knew. Yeah. And most of us live lives of desire, but we never lived really. And so, like, just like life can become a desire. Yeah.
0: But it's weird about desire that, like, when you, it seems to me that, you know, when you push it and when you keep going, you know, that, there's no there's no like sort of like, all right, I did it, it's just sort of the hunger expands, you know like you know yeah it I,
1: doesn't there's no such thing as satiety satisfaction right, right yeah, it's just that's not part of the deal, yeah, you know it it's it's like oh if only i if yeah. only i and then you are then that was it man. yeah, yeah. There's, there's
0: no i'm good, you know I, yeah I, i'm I, sad i'm yeah, yeah. sad there's <laughs> d- d- there's like
1: Deathly resignation to one's life, but there's no satisfaction there at all. Right, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't put the razor blades by the bed, (laughs) you know, for good reason. (laughs) Uh, You're absolutely right. Satisfaction is not part of the deal for more than say the satisfaction you would get from this present cigarette. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's as fleeting as that. As a matter of fact, they just sell satisfaction.
0: Right. yeah, yeah. You know, they, I mean, well, they tried to. I mean, that's the entire advertising yeah. industry is based on it. And it's, that's the biggest lie there is.
1: Well, it's the business of lying. Yeah, really. yeah. But yes, yeah, satisfaction. I mean, it's it's never going to happen. Yeah, it's never going to happen. So I guess to to be uh, to be are you right. taking these pills you should know something about them?
0: dude like look like, how satisfied?
1: you look just by this
0: well yeah I know I know I know <laughs> believe me I, I, I am no stranger to the thrill of being placated <laughs> by substance <Yeah. laughs> but, but like when you talk about not being able to sit with yourself for me this is very relevant I just turned you know I'm 51 you know and I've been through a certain amount of things and you start to realize at some point it's like I've been just fucking running yeah. I'm just running running from that from that idea of being honest with yourself to, to, to have that that weird sort of horrible weighty silence of of just like this is it, this is it mm. so like you know when I, when I hear you talking about that and I'm a guy that like once I figured out how to use a fucking iPhone, I'm like me yeah, I'll be in it, I'll be in it every fucking two minutes mm. Are you on Facebook? I don't can't do the Facebook I like Twitter because I can just spurt shit out yeah, so you tweet I do a tweet
1: you have learned all the new verbs.
0: Yeah. Tweeting's kind of fun because if you get a few people on on the, you know, on the line, you can just fucking blurt shit out and then a bunch of people go like, What the fuck? And you're like, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> fuck you.
1: Yeah, everybody you're sitting around waiting, waiting for
0: what? Yeah, wait. Well, it's the same as it's, it's like everything else. Like an iPod, it's like, you know, having your earphones in, being on Twitter, having email with you all the time. It's just a hit, yeah. it's just a hit, it's just a hit, it's just a hit.
1: Yeah, everything is a hit. That's right, and, and it, it, it's all addictive too.
0: Oh, it's completely addictive, man.
1: Because it, it just fills in all those little emptinesses with another more
0: s- 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 s-
1: electric kind of emptiness. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. What happens is, is like you know, you get that hit, and your brain chemicals go one way or another, depending if it's a good hit or a bad hit. Yeah. You know that that satisfaction thing, but like
1: sometimes if- you. you You talk to somebody for an hour and you come away feeling better. Do you ever feel like, ah, that was a good tweet we had?
0: Yeah, sure, man. Do yeah, yeah, because it's how longs that last? Well, the the thing interesting thing about Twitter is it makes it makes your thoughts relatively disposable. You know, but you can get them back. You know, they're all sitting out there, right? But like, you know, you got 140 characters to tighten it up, man. You know, you're gonna fucking throw a punch, and it's it's a writing thing. It's definitely writing. So you know. If something picks up some traction, you know, a little bit of poetry or whatever the fuck you're going to do in that moment. Uh, you know, like, I, you know, I, I try to write things relatively, you know, not so much uh, um, like cryptic, but like, you know, like I, I, I try to do something, Nick. <laughs> try, I'm trying to I'm trying to do something. What are you doing? Something like yesterday. I tweeted inconsistency abounds. Apologists everywhere. It was basically what we're talking about.
1: It' was much more concise, I mean it's much more concise. I so
0: like I'll throw that shit out into the world. Well, good for you, but do you ever do you ever okay, let let's close with this. Do you ever get a moment where you know because obviously the 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 medicine for what we're talking about is exactly what is the bullshit? Which is, you know, finding a God, finding a structure, finding a life that gives you the illusion of security, having faith, being able to believe. You know, so like, you know, if you get rid of all that, do you ever, did you ever once have a struggle where you were craving that and decided, like, well, well maybe that's the way to go? Or were you always fighting it?
1: I've always had a certain bit of envy for very stupid people. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and I do mean to be judgmental, those who are visibly more stupid than I, because they they, they seem to get off so easy. They're, their non-satisfaction, fake satisfaction point is so much lower. But did I ever try to reach out for a, a, a god or a system of salvation? Oh, I might have, again, envied those people that do find Peace in that form of lying to oneself, but no, I find you know it's all you're looking for the fountain of youth, the elixir of life. You know, you wanted you're the guy that found ten million dollars in a paper bag in the back of a cab. You know, who didn't wasn't didn't give it back. You know, I mean, what do these people give that shit back? You know, I mean, get the whole. <laughs> uh, and then you realize, well, you know, you're alive. You beat the racket. You're still here. And all these people have died around you, and it's time to slow down and live, not speed it up and uh, get somewhere because there's, there's really nowhere to go.
0: Thanks for talking, man. See, that was cool, right? Talking to the, one of the dark Buddhas. I think we did all right. That was Nick Toshis. Hope you enjoyed that. That's our show. Go to WTFPod.com. Get that app if you want to hear those interviews with Laura Dern or Michael Keaton or Richard Winklater or Paul Thomas Anderson and many others. Many others. More coming. What are we going to do? Slightly out of tune, jazz Jazzmaster.